Well, welcome everybody this morning to today's Truett Church Network webinar. Uh, this is a special series of webinars we've been doing called Todd, Todd Talks, where our Dean, Dr. Todd Still, visits with leading voices um, in the academy and in the church. And this is our second one, and we're so, so grateful to have Beth Moore with us today um, to share with us a little bit. Um, we do other pot, uh, webinars throughout the week, really, uh, every week, um, that started on crisis leadership issues regarding COVID and now addresses any number of pastoral leadership issues facing the church today. So we uh, encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on YouTube, and uh, follow along with us as we seek to help the church and be a service to the church in uh, difficult times, which we're all in. Um, Dr. Still, um, Beth, thank you so much for joining us today. And with no further ado, I'll turn it to Dean Still. Matt, thank you so much for the good work that you and your colleagues and the Truett Church Network are doing. And thanks for giving us an opportunity to visit uh, uh, bi-weekly uh, with any number of uh, uh, significant Christian leaders. Today, you all, uh, I'm delighted to be joined by our friend Beth Moore. Although Beth is well-known and well-loved by virtually everyone joining us virtually today, a brief word of introduction is nonetheless in order, if for no other reason, good Southern hospitality. <laughs> Beth is a prolific author. She's a popular speaker. She's the founder of and visionary for Living Proof Ministries. Beth lives near Houston in the woods with her husband, Keith. She is the mother of two daughters, the grandmother of three grandchildren. Just ask her about them. She enjoys reading, walking her dogs, and eating Tex-Mex, though not necessarily in that order. And I'm still looking forward to a Papacita's meal with Beth just as soon as I can get there. Beth worships at Bayou City Fellowship in Houston and is so generous because this morning she's fresh off of a Living Proof Live event last night at United City Church in Humble, Texas. Beth, welcome and thank you so very much for joining us uh, this morning. I could not be happier to be here, Todd. Thank you so much for having me. And let me tell you something. I want to take you up on that Tex-Mex. You, you <laughs> come my way. I promise you, brother, I will treat you right. <laughs> Let's do it. Well, Beth, uh, I had known of your ministry for years on end. And I had had the privilege of hearing what I thought was one of the most anointed and pointed uh, messages I had ever heard from you at a passion conference in Atlanta mm -hmm. on one occasion. But I'd not had a chance to meet you until this past November at our Truett uh, National Preaching Conference, which uh, if I may uh, drop a footnote at a commercial, Beth will be at again this November, Lord willing. That occasion was a real joy for me, Beth, as is this one. And our conversation this morning could go any number of directions, but could we just begin with this question? I know that folks uh, are interested as to how you've kind of negotiated uh, the COVID nettle and how you and your family are doing. You know, Todd, I glanced at the questions uh, just for a couple of minutes this morning, and I was ready to tell you you know, we're just doing fine. And I was going to speak for my whole family. And then, you know, it was just going to be that, you know, the way we do where it's our automatic answer, because the truth of it is none of us in our immediate uh, family, um, we've, we've not gotten sick. We've not had to have any of the uh, financial uh, stresses added to us at this point, some at living proof, but not enough to devastate right now, like many people have been devastated. So I started to do all the automatic answers and then thought as I was driving over here that that's not true, that although we were not 
hit personally in profound ways beyond the obvious, which is being, you know, staying put in home, uh, not being able to come where my staff was and, and to, to be with Amanda and the kids. Melissa, as you know, uh, lives in Portland, but my other daughter and her family live here, not being able to see them for weeks and then seeing them and not being able to touch them, all these things. Those are all the normal things. But where I would say that we have taken it hard is because our family members, we, we are feelers. It's, it's no small thing to us to look out. We are the kind that keep up with the news, that do keep up with culture. And it's been devastating to watch. It's been devastating to, uh, to watch the, the numbers of, of deaths accumulate, to see those names of so many that we saw on that front page of the news that day that just like, you know, imagining them in all their family contexts, imagining so many of them dying alone uh, in hospitals where their families couldn't get to them. So uh, it's just been devastating. Um, uh, it's been a uh, one of the things that I think about our time that will leave a historical marker uh, for generations to come. And so, you know, I, I, so I answer that both ways. It is, uh, I had a staff member uh, at Living Proof that lost not one, but two family members to COVID, had five family members with it and lost two of them, including her mother and her mother's sister, her aunt. So, uh, you know, it's, it's been uh, a horrifying thing to watch. So my, my answer changed on my drive over. That's the honest truth of it is that we are heartbroken uh, for the globe for this present um, pandemic. Beth, uh, thank you for giving us the real answer. And, <laughs> um, you know, I've been, uh, thinking a lot about that Romans text that we, we grieve with those who grieve. And you've helped us to do that uh, afresh through your response. Beth, can I take you back a few years now? Uh, I want to ask you a question. Yes. Um, when, when and how did you develop such a deep love and hunger for scripture? And relatedly, a strong desire like a fire shut up within your bones yes, yes. to share God's word. How, how did this happen? Todd, this is one of the only stories that when I tell almost every single time, I could cry over it. So I, I fight a lump in my throat every time I tell it. That is how uh, much it means to me because there was this point. Now for me, in in my childhood, I don't ever remember not hearing the name of Jesus. I was raised in church. I would have been there by the time I was three weeks old. In those days, moms did it totally differently. There wouldn't have been any holding us in the sanctuary during, you know, worship and having us you know they, we were put in that nursery like this. And so it, it was all I ever knew regarding that formative part of my, my faith uh, life. But there was this moment, you know, when, when a lightning bolt hits, that everything changes. And I have had a couple of those. And one of them would have been at 27. And it's what you're, what you're talking about. I had really felt the call of God uh, on my life at 18 in the middle of college. Now, meanwhile, and I need someone to hear this. I don't know that I will have a chance to get into this part of my testimony. But just so you know, none of this was just clean and tidy. The only part of my story that is clean and tidy is Jesus himself. And I'm not sure if he'd call himself tidy, but he is certainly, he is certainly clean and too, too clean for me to have messed him up. But I have, my walk was like this and I had a lot of defeat and a lot of despair along the way and have had a wobbly time with it. But he has just stayed with me. And I was 18 when I surrendered to uh, a call to ministry. What we would have called back in, in my day and in my tradition, uh, which I think that you share, Todd, we would have called that, you know, that we felt a call to vocational Christian service. And so 
I walked the aisle at my church. I, it was announced by my pastor at my church. People received me and came like they do when, in our tradition when you're, when you're born again and people come and just you know, shake your hand and hug you. And there was all of this. And so the years go by because I don't know what I'm going to be called to do. I have no idea. All I understood at 18 was that I was his. And I still love that way of calling because it's just, I've never been able to say this is what I was called to do as much as just, you know what, I'm, I'm called to just follow Jesus with everything I've got. So the years go by and I'm, I'm developing at that point into what you would call a Christian motivational speaker. And uh, so, and I'm happy with it. I'm happy with it. And so a woman comes to my church uh, in, from my church and says to me, a, a very dear mentor of mine, Beth, they are looking for a Sunday school teacher in the uh, young marrieds. It was married women from like 27 to 31. And she said they have, their teacher is going to be out on maternity leave for a year. She wants to know if you, if someone would take her place. And um, I think you should do it. And I was, I always loved Sunday school and everything, but I'd never taught uh, in, in an adult class like that. But I thought, hmm, I, I think that the Lord was just like, do it, do it. And so I, I did, but my way of doing it was that I just thought of whatever I wanted to talk about on Sunday and then tried to fit scripture with it. This was, this was just it. And let me tell you, don't get the, it was terrible, Todd. It was terrible, but it was fun. Let me tell you, my class was packed because we had a dang good time. But girlfriend did not know what she was doing. And I, I was 27 at that time. And there was a, an announcement in the bulletin that a Bible doctrine was, uh, class was beginning at First Baptist Church in Houston. And honestly, it was like I heard a thunderous voice from God, go ye therefore. I mean, honestly, it was like, Beth, go. And so I really, uh, I, I prepared to be bored stiff. And, you know, I was just going to do what I had to do. Sometimes you do, you pay the price. You do what you have to do. And I needed to go because I was just, I was, I knew I was terrible I knew I needed to learn how to teach. And I went to prepare, got my brand new notebook, brand new colored pens. And the class was only about 15 people. Got went in, on that Sunday evening during the training union hour. And this guy, former football player, as thick as he was wide, uh, walks to that podium in that small room. He opens his mess of a Bible. I mean, mess of a bottle. It, every page looked like it had been through the washer and the dryer. And he began to teach. And Todd, here's what I want you to understand. This is where I want to cry every single time. There was nothing about his voice that ever even wavered. It, whatever you're picturing that he was like, he probably was not. We could not be more different. We could not be more different in our way. It was not dramatic, nothing. But he loved those scriptures more than he loved his daily bread. And I am telling you, I was riveted. I was riveted. I, I could not take a single note. I never, I, I had prepared my, opened my notebook, my pen, nothing. I don't even, I'm not sure I turned to the scriptures. I sat and stared. I had, I had known people, you know, I was, church was, has been my life. And I had known people that dearly loved Jesus, dearly loved Jesus, servants of God. But I had never met anyone that loved the scriptures like that. Never that I thought they would have honestly, they have chosen it over anything. Like he loved it. I, I got in my car when it was over. Um, I, I ran to my car. I didn't stay after and talk anything. I knew all of those people. And I, I just ran in my car. I got in it. I burst into tears and I said to the Lord, I don't know what that was, but I want it. And, you know, I hate to do this, especially on a podcast with men, because nobody wants to see a woman cry, especially my age. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to, but I can't do it without my voice wavering. Because it was, it was the moment, the moment for me. Because in that moment, it was as if the Lord struck a, a stone like a match we just put a match across a stone and stuck a torch in my heart. Mm -hmm. And as of this morning, this was, I'm, I'm nearly 63. That was when I was 27. To this day, 
To this day, that light has not gone out. I still love it. I still would choose it just like my mentor. I would choose it over my next meal. And so I know I took a lot, I promise I won't take that long to answer the rest of them, Todd, but it was the game changer for me. I stayed under his tutelage for years, for years. And, and, you know, I have a dear friend that was in the class and she says to me all the time, it just did not affect me that way, Beth. But it was, you know, it just was a moment in time that God meant to happen. And he, he taught me to study. He, I read in those days, you know, it was Ryrie's uh, the basic theology. And I read it like you would read a regular book. You know, I just read it from beginning. everything he gave me. It, I didn't treat it like a resource. I read it like a book from beginning to end. He taught me how to study commentaries. You know, he, he began my commentary library, which of course, you know, has sustained me for so many years. So anyway, it's an emotional subject for me. It shouldn't be, but it is because it was the big game changer. It really was. Beth, that's amazing. I can say a few things. Uh, we can stay as long as you can talk. So, <laughs> <laughs> there's no need to offer short answers. Uh, <laughs> The, the, the second thing is uh, I'm following uh, the webinar chat and Shauna Andrew is saying to us, I was in your Sunday school class at First Baptist. I still have the dot matrix printout of the yes. names of God. You took yes. my life. Thank you. So the impact that that Sunday school class has had is continuing uh, to ripple out. As you share you that. Know, I, I have to pitch in here for a second. I taught Sunday school at First Baptist. You know, finally, my pastor just, just said, you know what, teach an ungraded class of women. Let, let women of, of any age come. And so I taught for 23 solid years Sunday school at that church. Yeah. My, my goodness. Well, we can give you the Sunday school pen then, can't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. <laughs> well, um, it reminds me as you share that story, Beth, Dawson Trotman once said of discipleship that it's not so much taught, it's caught. It's both. But uh, the, the reason it seems that you were so able to receive from this teacher is because you were impacted by his commitments uh, yes. uh, that, that his life preached. Yes. Um, Beth, um, as a, uh, a woman who is a minister, you have encountered your fair share of challenges uh, along the way, <laughs> uh, to say the very least. That's the diplomatic talk. Um, so I have a couple of questions. First of all, Beth, what word of encouragement might you be able to offer other women who feel that same fire shut up in their bones and feel a divine call upon their lives to preach the gospel and the Bible and relatedly, and I think as importantly, how might their male ministerial counterparts and coworkers encourage them to cultivate this call and to be faithful uh, for God having grasped their lives? Well, I'm going to tell you that there is no way that God has put a calling on you, a legit calling on your life that he is not going to give you a way uh, to obey. And so that is, that is the first thing that I want to say. And um, I, I want to to circle this around a little bit to the conversation we just had, Todd, because, and I need you, Todd, to keep me, make sure that I hit the issues that you just said and that I don't forget some of them because they were so important, but let me take it in, in order here. One of my biggest concerns right now, <laughs> I'm just still, I was looking for answers for this because we are largely seeing the departure of Sunday school in many of our churches. And listen, I don't, I think that we don't know each other very well, Todd, but I think that anyone on with us today that, that I've really known for a number of years will tell you that I'm not, I don't have this kind of uh, commitment 
to tradition. I, I don't, I don't. I, I think we've seen a lot of great changes come along the way, but I don't necessarily count this among them. And I'm going to tell you why. I, I believe in community groups. I just, I, 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 I love all of that. I, I get it. But one of my major concerns is that in most community groups, if you'll look, just, I'm sure there are lots of exceptions that I just don't know about, but a lot of times it's couples that are leading the community groups. But what, what I am not seeing now, what shall we do with all of our women that have gifts of teaching and now have no way to exercise them in a more conservative tradition. And so it used to be that anybody that had what, what God was stirring up in me by way of calling, I naturally, I mean, I, I acclimated straight into Sunday school and Todd, it became the catalyst. I've said this so many times, God used Sunday school to completely equip me for the entire ministry. It was what taught me to study towards something that would become an in-depth Bible study. It's what equipped me. It's the reason why, listen, y'all, it's the reason why I didn't just develop five talks that I took all over the place and I just kept repeating them over and over. I didn't have to do that because I was having to study every single week for Sunday school. So fresh material constantly over and over, straight through the Gospel of Luke, straight through Exodus, straight, you know, it was just like one chapter at a time, all of this training. Okay, so where are the women getting to do this now? I, I am so tired of hearing people say, well, look how many extracurricular um, ministries there are. Women are popping up out there and they're out from under. Well, what, what would you like to offer us that we can now do under the roof of our church because we cannot even teach Sunday schools to sixth graders right now because we don't have the opportunity. So as you can see, I do not feel strongly about any of this, Todd. Any of this. These are, just, these are all incidentals to me, but oh my goodness. So, so saying back to you, because some of you women are going, well, now I'm really depressed. No, no, because this is what we have to do. You have to remember that God makes a way where, I mean, it's just like, He's, he is the one that makes that stream in the desert. He is the one that, that does the thing. It is his responsibility to make the way. You don't make it for yourself. You, you follow in obedience and take the next step. One of the things I would tell you uh, very quickly is don't look for big platforms. I think it has been part of the ruination of us. It's, it's caused this whole celebrity culture. What, what your mothers, but by that I mean my age, what the, the, the mothers uh, of this generation did, it will be the same thing you'll have to do, is that we ministered uh, in our immediate environment I'd, I'd say even in your, your neighborhood, in, in some kind of social group that you're in, among some of the women at your, at your church that you're just meeting in your home or whatever it is, don't, don't go looking for, grow into it, grow into it. Uh, maybe start uh, mentoring someone in the word one-on-one um, -on -one, uh, and study. Oh, let me, I cannot say that loudly enough study, study. I, there is, there's a name you call a teacher who does not want to study, and that is a talker. That's just a talker. That's, that's not a teacher. A teacher teaches what he or she learned. And, you know, I, I, um, one of the books I want to pitch out here, I brought a couple of books with me to our webinar today, and one of them I want to recommend is called Worthy. Are you familiar with this, no. Todd? No. Okay. And the reason why I'm bringing it into this atmosphere is because uh, I know already that uh, perhaps many that are tuning in with us are going like, I want, I still, I'm, I'm a complementarian. I want to, so, and so this is, this is written by complementarians. And yet, I mean, they go scripture by scripture by scripture by scripture on the value of women. It's, um, 
it's Elise Fitzpatrick and Eric uh, Schumacher. And anyway, it's just something that I would recommend to you since we won't have time to get into all of that today. It's a very good place for someone to begin that thinks, you know, I still want to really be in a conservative tradition, but is there anything for a woman to do? That's a really good resource to go to. And, and so I'd invite our brothers, uh, you know, <laughs> Please, you read something like that. See how, okay, can I say something, Todd? Can I say something else here? Absolutely. Okay, what happened for me, I I have had so many people ask me about this, like, Beth, um, you know, how did your pastor let you do this? And I, I just wish so much he were sitting there. He's with the Lord now. But I wish I can even picture the look on his face if I said that, if I had him next to me in this webinar right now, he would throw his head back because it was John Bazzano. He would throw his head back and he would laugh that real deep hearty laugh because he knows what I'm about to tell you is true. Not only did the man let me, he shoved me with both of his hands. And let me tell you something. This is an important thing. There, at our church at First Baptist, and I've been, I've been to six, I attended six, diff, active in six different churches in the course of my lifetime. And I don't know, maybe God just did this with me and it's just no explanation except divine intervention that six out of six were the same way. I, I was raised where there was mutual respect between a men and women servants. I mean, we didn't, I, I, this was such a shock to me when I got out there in the greater, in the greater public. And I'll say that the SBC, because that was, you know, that was my tradition. I had been treated it. We were just fellow servants and there was no thought you couldn't have been a manlier man than John Bazzano. I mean, there was no, you didn't have any thought you were going to be taking the church over from him. Um, You just, there was just no thought of that, but we were completely involved, respected, brought into committees. He, I mean, we just, it was a world that, that uh, was totally different from what I saw when, when I was pulled out into the, into the larger picture and saw how much hostility there was. It just wasn't the world that I was raised in. And we understood authority. But uh, we were uh, very, very active. I, you, if you would have pulled the every church I've been to, if you would have pulled the w- major, major players, m- major female players out of those churches, I mean, some of those walls would have absolutely collapsed. Yes. Yeah. And uh, that's been true for so many churches for so very long. So Beth, it's great to hear these six congregations affirm your gifts. Yeah, they did. If if we can uh, go forward predicated upon giftedness, and if that can be uh, the agenda, then um, the Holy Spirit gifts people for the church's good. And so you're functioning in your areas of giftedness and churches have affirmed the same. that's very uh, helpful. I'm mindful uh, of uh, some time constraints. So Beth, may I shift us in a contemporary direction if it's okay for a minute? Absolutely. Um, I, like many others uh, on our webinar today, uh, follow you on Twitter. I I delightfully do so. Uh, And on certain days, I must confess, this is rather a commitment because you've been known to tweet up a storm. I sometimes sometimes wonder if you're a thumber or if you're, you know, you you do one finger, but uh, I'm able to keep up with you. Okay. Um, But Beth, you have recently been uh, refreshingly and outspokenly bold about the sin of racism and white supremacy, not least in our country. Uh, To give folks who are listening um, a a bit of context, uh, I'm just gonna quote you some of Beth's tweets. Um, Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be racists. You have also stated, after 400 years of unabashed racism, 
and pervasive white supremacy so deeply seeped in the American way of life that most carriers cannot even see it, why not now for this demonic stronghold to be broken? Why not now in a time and generation among the least likely? And then finally, Beth, uh, just once again to give uh, colleagues context, you have written most poignantly, I do not say this lightly or hastily, but with fear and trembling after much deliberation, I think that we are experiencing a divine reckoning in America. I don't think the reckoning is over our simply having sinned. I think it is over the fact that we've used God and the Bible to do it. Beth, Absolutely. would you help us see what you're seeing and hear what you're hearing? This seems m most timely and most urgent. You know, it, I love that you say timely because the thing about it is that I am just crazy enough to believe every single syllable of that and still say hope is not lost because we have a chance to do this differently. Mm. We Honestly, we could quit playing. And I'm going to tell you something, Todd. I feel very, very strongly about this. This, this game playing and this being about rhetoric rather than repentance mm. absolutely has got to cease. Mm. And I mean now, because I do, I do believe uh, we are in a time of reckoning. I do believe we are. And I believe this has been blinking. I mean, like a light on all this time. God going, you know, repent, repent, because you are using me for your supremacy. You are using me to do it. And it's been, it's been historical. And I want to say something because this, I, I think that we've got to make mention that these things go together. Mm -hmm. I, I believe, and I, I need someone to hear this particular uh, disclaimer here so you understand where I'm coming from. I speak as one in it. So I'm, cause it's going to seem like, man, I, that, that girl's about to cast a stone. I, I, I'm, this is no stone of condemnation here. I am submerged in it. I don't, I am so deep in it that I am just trying to figure out for the life of me what is truth and what is lies. And so I'm working it through. So I'm about to say some things that sound harsh about evangelicalism, but I need you to understand this has been my whole life. This has been my world. This is, so you got to understand that as I say this, I am saying we. And so I, I want to say this to you, we evangelicalism, we have, we are like a body that has cancer. We have an invasive cancer and it has metastasized in major organs in the body. And I'm just calling this, this, this body, this particular body, evangelicalism. It is metastasized in, uh, in, in racism and, and white supremacy. It has metastasized in sexism to the point of misogyny, because I want to tell you something. It, one reason why I've called it on, on the woman thing is because I have watched it get stronger, harder, and get more and more extreme. That was the reason. I, my thing is you have built a fence around the law. You have gone further than the scriptures went so that you could protect your system. And that's when somebody ought to cry foul. And so I am officially, formally crying foul. And so we've got, we've got racism, we've got sexism, and we've got nationalism. And it has all been, it's so convoluted in there, it, it's hard to even uh, pull them all apart. But I don't think it is beyond repair because that's up to God. It's, it's his. And the reason why people just go, why don't you just walk away from it? Because these are the things that I believe. I believe in the authority and the veracity of scripture. I believe in missions, in evangelism. This is, 
These are things I was raised on. I believe in discipleship in the word of God. But what I am crying out is that somewhere in all our discipleship, we forgot that the whole point was Christ's likeness. And so we, this thing has burgeoned into something. If evangelicalism was a person, was a person, it would be a white male that does not look anything like Jesus. And that's, listen, we need a bone marrow transplant. I mean, we don't just need a little bit of treatment. We need a bone marrow transplant. And let me tell you what it's going to take is the, 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 the fierce courage of humility, of humility, because this, so much of this has happened over just arrogance, just arrogance. We've made ourselves the gatekeepers. We are the ones that get to say what is, uh, what is sound doctrine and what is not. And it, it's just gross. But I don't think it is beyond repair, but I'm just going to tell you something. It's going to take repentance, and repentance takes humility. Can, can I read something to y'all real quick? Because I think this is important. I, if, if I don't, I, I think this is important enough to be, um, that, that this is the thing I hope we remember when this webinar is over. So I'm about to read to you an excerpt out of, Eric Mason's Woke Church. It is an urgent call for Christians in America to confront racism and injustice. It's a marvelous book. But he quotes Dietrich Bonhoeffer in it. And I, I just cannot tell you, I nearly threw the book. It was so powerful to me, I nearly had to throw it against the wall. And for where I come from, to throw something means that you loved it. You loved it. So he's talking in, you're going to have to do your homework because he's talking within the subject of racism that Dietrich Bonhoeffer in, in the United States, in Harlem, came into contact with, uh, with a black church and began to develop and see these dichotomies that had happened in our theology. And so he says this, and so now I'm quoting uh, Bonhoeffer, and I'm going to, to read you this excerpt, so stay, stay with me for a second. God has granted American Christianity no reformation. I, I want to say that again. God has granted American Christianity no reformation, and he does it with a capital R. He has given it strong revivalist preachers, churchmen, and theologians, but no reformation of the church of Jesus Christ by the word of God goes on to say, American theology and the American church as a whole have never been able to understand the meaning of criticism by the word of God and all that signifies. Right to the last, they do not understand that God's criticism touches even religious, even Christianity of, even religion rather, the Christianity of the church and the sanctification of Christians and that God has founded his church beyond religion and beyond ethics goes on to say, in American theology, Christianity is still essentially religion and ethics. Because of this, the person and work of Christ must, for theology, sink into the background and in the long run remain misunderstood because it is not recognized as the sole ground of radical judgment and radical forgiveness. And here's what I want you to hear, is that he says, there has not yet been a reformation in the American church. And so here is the big complaint. I, I, I wanna, let's, let's address this because somebody's gonna do it for us and I wanna make sure that we've said it ourselves. Here is the complaint. If you give any of this this much room, it's going to go over here. So this is the reason for everything. This is the reason for building the fence around the law is because what we're saying is, man, we, we, have to, we, we have to make absolutely sure that none of this moves left because you have to, to remember, now, when I say right and left, I'm not talking politics here, although there is that. That's another subject for another webinar. But what happens, so we've got the right and the left in the, and all moderates are automatically left, so do not get confused there. So <laughs> we've got the right, and so the fear is if we move, this is one reason why we never make any progress because we might be called progressives, see? So we can't make any progress because then we're progressives and that's not, we're already moving left. And so here's, here's the big thing, that, it, that people that begin to do this, they end up doing this, wham. 
And okay, so we can see where that happens. We, we can see it. We can also see where it has it, but we can see where that happens. So what do we do? Do we build, uh, so we just like, we leave the fence there? No. Where is the generation, this, this, the generation that is going to fulfill what I'm about to say, and what, and what, what Bonhoeffer said, not what, what I'm saying, but the generation, this is going to be, this, this is going to be the group right here that brings this kind of reformation because where is the generation that can say, we are willing to hold the tension. We are not going to let go of the authority of the scriptures. We are not going to go left. We are going to hold on to the scriptures. We are not going to go to this extreme, and we're not going to go to this extreme. Where is the generation that will hold on to the scriptures and allow it to have the tension that it does? Where is that generation? And I, I tell you, okay. You shouldn't have got me started, Todd. You shouldn't have got me started. Okay, I want anyone listening, I want you to go to Galatians chapter two because as God would have it, I have spent the last two years um, thoroughly steeped in it because I'm writing on Galatians next. And the first way I, I study a book that I'm going to write on is if it's, if it's not too long, if it's not like Exodus, I memorize the book so, with, I, so that... For First and Thess Second Thessalonians, to study on that, I memorized both those books. For Second Timothy, I did the same thing, and for James, I did the same thing. That's the first way I study: is every single word comes in order in my memory, and so I've done the same with Galatians. So I say it all the time. So I want to direct everyone to Galatians chapter two because Paul is making this exact point. He is saying, no, you don't get to come in with all your legalism and distort the gospel. You do not get to do it. And he calls Peter out. And he said, you know what? You used to eat. You ate with the Gentiles until the circumcision party came. And then when they came, you, you backed off and separated yourself so that everybody acted hypocritically along with you. And, you know, he said, because you feared, I thought this was really important, because you feared the circumcision party. I want to make sure somebody listening today knows that when we have really conservative groups come against us over really, really legalistic groups coming, it's fierce. And when I say that we're scared of them because they're scary, I'm not kidding. Can they cause damage? Yes, they can cause damage because all they have to do is cry out heretic, false teaching, um, liberalism. All they have to do, just stick the label on there. Marxism, and I mean, they can just, they can destroy whole ministries. So, but he says, he says, to them, we would not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. And in that same context with Peter, he says that he called him out because he said he was not in step with the truth of the gospel. And these things that we're talking about, racism, sexism, nationalism, we get to call them out because they are not in step with the truth of the gospel. Wow, I can't wait uh, for your uh, study of Galatians, Beth. Um, it, it reminds me at the outset of Galatians where Paul says that uh, if we are even an angel from heaven would preach to you a gospel contrary to the gospel that we preached and you received, let that person be anathema because there is no, uh, there, there is no other gospel. It's not a heteron euangelion. Uh, there, there, there is but one gospel. And when the smoke clears and dust settles, if we want to talk about evangelism, at the end of the, our, our evangelical, uh, at its core is euangelion. And yes. so the gospel gets cloaked when we import these isms to it. Absolutely. And you've helped us see that with great clarity, Beth. Uh, you've been so generous with your time. Uh, if I had my way, uh, we could now have the chips and salsa and the iced tea, <laughs> and, and we could just keep going. 
but um, but I want to respect your time and those who are on the webinar uh, with the hope that we can do it again. But before uh, we go, Beth, could we just ask you uh, to pray for us that uh, this this spirit of reformation uh, would happen in these days, and we'll join with you. Would you please lead us? Oh, I, I would be so honored to do that. Lord, uh, you know that before we began this time together, I found a corner in the ministry and, and knelt down and just asked you to please, please help me to serve you, Father, with uh, the kind of heart and the kind of words and the kind of humility that comes so hard to humans. God, we just confess our frailties and faults and flaws and sins. And, oh, Lord, I have been so deep in all of it. And I just ask you, God, oh, please, please, Help us to see Jesus. Help us to see Jesus. To know, a oh Lord, that in all our effort and calling to discipleship, which is what has caused me to love this part of uh, Christianity so very much, that if in all our education, we do not look more like Christ. We've somehow gone awry. Father, I pray that what you would raise up, you, that, that the image you would raise up in American Christianity would be that of Jesus Christ. What he looks like, what, what he operated like, what 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 tendered his heart and drew him, Lord. I just pray, God, that would be, that would be reformation to us, God, that we would hold tight to the truth. I mean, Father, hold tight to it with everything we've got. And we would see the freedom of Christ in our midst. I'll say this, Lord, um, we so desperately need your Holy Spirit. We've gotten so good at uh, creating environments that look like you're there that we don't, we don't know if you're there or not. Mm -hmm. And I think it's part of what you're doing right now, Lord, is you sort of burn a lot of that out of us through uh, this uh, extremely difficult time of social distancing. And I think you're purifying us. Just help us to do your will, Lord. Give us fierce courage to repent. Give us fierce courage to humble ourselves, Lord. Give us fierce courage to look at one another as different as we are from one another and say, man, I value you and your place in the body. And I, I want... I want to learn from you. I thank you so much for Truett. I'm thinking, Father, of people coming out of there like Catherine Freeman, that, oh my goodness, speaking to these issues that we're talking about today and this fierce, fierce uh, warriors of the faith. Continue to bless them. Hold them tight. Hold me tight. Hold me tight, Lord. Do not let me depart from your word. Do not let us depart from your word. We ask these things in the glorious name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. John, I'm, I'm a lot. And, you know, I, I know that I am. I'm a, I'm a lot. I'm a lot even. I'm a, a lot even for me. But, <laughs> Anyway, that's why I have to be taken in small doses. <laughs> no, I, I don't think that anyone here today has had too much. I think we go away hungry. Uh, we're happy, but we're hungry. And I know that many will want to go out online 
uh, I'm going to listen again. And uh, there's, there's much more here uh, that I need to ponder further. Beth, I couldn't help but thinking as you were praying, as you've been speaking, uh, to return to Galatians. Um, Paul says that uh, he has been perplexed by the Galatians, and he continues to be perplexed until Christ is formed in them. Yes. And so yes. What, we're, what we're talking about is cruciformity. Paul, right. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith or by the faithfulness of the Son of right. God who right. loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. But it doesn't, and he didn't. And as a result, uh, you've encouraged us today to um, uh, consider and to ponder anew what the Almighty can do and has done through his only begotten Son. Um, I love that, Todd. Oh, that just about preaches to my soul. I, I would love to say this before we say goodbye. I would love to just um, say, just vocalize a call to joy that even in the midst of our hardship, if we give that up, it's such an a strong part of our witness. I, I want to tell you all something that Joel Gregory said to me. I'm going to have to paraphrase him because I may not get every word right. And he may listen to this later and go, that is not what I said. So please forgive me in advance, Joel. But you remember when I was at that conference with you guys, Todd, when I stepped off of the stage and came down, Joel received me and, you know, he had, he had tears. He's so tenderhearted and he had tears and he whispered in my ear what I'm about to say in public, but I'll never forget it. And the reason I'm saying it is because I want to say it to all of you too. He said, stay happy, Beth, stay happy. He said, it's part of who you are. And he said, if you let them just turn you into an angry woman, they'll just throw you out and discount you as an angry feminist. And he said, you got to hold on to that. And I just, I want to say that to anyone listening today, hold on to your joy. Because once we get, so I, one day I want to ride on the things we've talked about today, but I'm not quite ready because I have not, I have to work through, I have to make sure I can't write with an ax to grind and I can't write with any resentment. Uh, I have to get through that first. And so I just, I call upon you all. Let's hold on to our joy. Christ, if he has to, show us these kinds of things in one another. If he has to show you all my weaknesses today so that you can think, well, you know, I've heard she was too much and she is. That's all right. It, as long as we know he is preeminent, he is supreme in all things. If we end up just going like, well, you know, he's, he alone is Christ, then something wonderful was gained. Mm -hmm. uh, hold on to your joy um, because that is our, that is a great, great part of our witness. That's a great word. Let's allow that to be the final word. The joy of the Lord uh, is our strength. So friends, um, next time we are going to visit with Dr. Elijah Brown, who is the General Secretary of the Baptist World Alliance, but we're going to long remember uh, this time uh, with Beth. Thank you. So be steadfast and movable always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, friends, that your labor in the Lord, it's not in vain. Keep telling the story. Be faithful and true. We've heard from a wonderful storyteller who's been grasped by Christ in the gospel today. Beth, we appreciate your winsome witness. Great joy. Thank you so much for having me today. Let's visit again soon. Thanks, friend. All right. Bye-bye.